Well, good morning again, Richland Creek. Let's give it up for the Lord one more time and the worship team leading us today. If you want to know why you come to church on a Sunday, that's the reason right there. Stand in the midst of God's people and to give him praise. And, uh, you know, I, I know there were seasons and there's times where uh, when COVID hit and other reasons that you may have watched online, but there is a reason to be standing in this room next to brothers and sisters as you hear them sing the same truths that you believe. Your heart needs to know you're not alone in your faith. And so it's amazing to do that, to hear the body of believers singing. If you have your copy of God's Word open uh, with you today, would you open it to Genesis chapter 24? Genesis chapter 24 today. As you turn to Genesis 24, I want to just give uh, praise to the Lord uh, for an amazing weekend uh, with the ladies of Richland Creek. And so, so many folks did. Absolutely. Uh, we, we had a tremendous time this weekend. I'll say we, I was here for only a few minutes. I did not belong here for the weekend. And so I'm uh, so thankful for all that came together. Uh, so many folks for months have worked so hard to, to make this happen, even up into yesterday afternoon. If you don't realize at noon yesterday, this room was full of round tables and candles. And today it looks like uh, Sunday morning again. That took a lot of work uh, across our campus for all the volunteers. It took, we had right at 400 women uh, that were here as a part of our weekend to see an amazing time together absolutely and I just can't uh, I have to just publicly be now you ladies know uh, what a blessing I have in the wife of Candy Powers and who the Lord gave me as a spouse and so I thank the Lord for that <laughs> So it was, uh, it was wonderful uh, to see her uh, sharing the word over the weekend. And, you know, uh, it was a good weekend for us. After, you know, we're still coming up out of COVID in life. And so a lot of folks getting back together around a table, seeing other ladies. It was a special time of unity and uh, bringing our church together for a weekend. And so I'm, I'm just really grateful and give praise to the Lord for that. And uh, looking forward to what the Lord continues to do with the ladies of Richland Creek. Now, if you've got your copy of God's Word, turn to Genesis 24. Let me say this before we get here. We now come upon the second longest narrative in all of Genesis. So Genesis is the second longest book of the Bible, and now in that book, this is the second longest story, only, only surpassed by Noah and the flood. And so I promise you, I am not reading all 67 verses as we stand here in just a moment. But as we get to Genesis 24, we, it's a transition moment. And I want to help give you a little context before we read the text today. It, Abraham is now about to pass his faith off to Isaac. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, is passing the faith off even here in her passing. She's passing along to Rebekah. Now Abraham and Sarah have been the patriarch and the matriarch of God's chosen people at this point. And they've been the people walking in faith. Now, just the chapter before, 23, Sarah passes away at 127 years old. And so, remember, she had a baby at 90, and now she passes away at 127. And so, now we, we no longer have uh, a, a matriarch there. And in fact, we get to this chapter, and Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's, this son they never thought they would have, he's now 40 years old. 
And so there's a problem. He's not married. And so now the Bible has to cross this bridge of what do we do? Isaac needs to have a spouse in order to have another child and this promise to continue on. And so the Lord's going to keep his covenant through this chapter in 24. And so I want to read just the first few verses of the chapter. So if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. And we'll read from verse 1. We'll work our way all the way down through verse Seven, and then we'll work our way all the way through the chapter uh, in our time together today. So beginning in verse one, the word of God says, now Abraham was, he was old, he was well advanced in years and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had, who had put, who he had had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there so the lord the god of heaven who took me from my father's house from the land of my kindred kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring i will give this land he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there let's go to the lord in prayer heavenly father we we know on on the ordinary days, it's oftentimes hard to see your hand at work. But, but Lord, we know that you're always at work in the background. And so, Lord, today I pray that you'd open up our eyes of faith to see your providential hand guiding our steps and help us to trust you, our God who leads us in every single moment of our lives. For we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe seated. If we look back in history, in the the year 2011, something happened that in a way changed our lives. I looked back yesterday and was searching and and a person, I don't know if it's, I'd call it a person, but something we know invented was, was the idea of Siri. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The, the device that talks to you on your phone, right? Some of us call it at our house, it's Alexa. We say, I'm afraid to say these things right now, right? I, I, I've wondered if I said it too clearly in this moment, would everybody's phone start talking to me? I want, I don't want to try it, but I think it'd be a disaster. So I'm not. So, but in this moment in history, right, robots started talking to us, did they not? When we would speak to our phone, it would speak back to us. It would understand our words and, and respond to us. But, but when it started, it was only when we pulled our phone out, right? We would take the phone out, we would hit a button and then we could talk to this device. But then a few years ago, they got even smarter, didn't they, right? 
they started listening all the time like every moment and to the point where where i have this i have this apple watch up here i'm afraid to do it right now but it's happened to me on a few sundays it happened to me one sunday you i I think i made it through unless some of you caught it i was talking and i looked down and the thing started picking me up in the middle of my sermon In fact, it started talking back to me for just a moment. I caught it, but it picked up my words standing right up here in front of you. Would you realize in that moment that that those devices are always listening and always there? Now, I don't know how good or bad that might be for us. But I think for the Lord, oftentimes we see his work and his moments almost like when Siri first came out. That it's as if God works in certain moments when we talk to him, when we go to church, when, when, when we open our Bibles, and only in those miraculous moments do we see the hand of God, and then we go back to the normal, ordinary, mundane, day-to-day life, and we feel like God just goes into the background. That somehow only God interacts with our lives in these miraculous moments. But God's providential hand is at work in every single second of our lives. There's not a moment he's not listening, watching, and holding all things together. That's why I say, just like your phone is listening all the time, God is in every single moment. And that's what we get to in Genesis 24. We see a passage in which God is at at work in, in the background His providential hand is at work in every single moment. You see, God is at work in every single moment of our lives. And so what I want to do is take Genesis 24. It's a story of of Isaac's wife being found. There's a servant sent from Abraham's house to go find a wife for Isaac. By the end of the chapter, they'll be married. And so, so that's what happens in Genesis 24 of 67 verses here. But in the background, God is at work. And so how do we learn to work with God who is providentially working in our lives? Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes today, we trust the Lord in every moment. We need to trust the Lord in every single moment of every single day. That means not just in the extraordinary moments, not just when God is doing miraculous things. We know that that every single moment that we live is a miracle of God. He is working to hold all things together. So now let's look at the text. Here we reach chapter 24 of Genesis. Abraham's life is coming to a close. Like I mentioned a moment ago, Sarah is already gone. Chapter 25, Abraham will pass away. And so as he gets to this closing of his life, as I just read a moment ago, in verse 2, he picks up a servant from his house. It's the one who leads his home. You, you might would guess if you know the Bible and you look back when Abraham was kind of freaking out, worrying about whether he would have an heir, he went and said, I'm going to pick one of these servants from my house. And so in that moment, he says, I, I, you might, his name was Eleazar of Damascus. This could possibly be that same servant from just a few chapters before. But he makes an oath to him. He says, I want you to, to go and find this spouse for me. And, and in fact, he, he does this. He says he puts his hand up under his thigh. If you understand the details of this, this, as one preacher said, this is a little bit more than a pinky promise that they're doing here. 
This is a significant moment. In fact, by putting his hand under his thigh, it's a connection to all this idea of the seed, of circumcision, and symbolically connected to the promise that will carry through his line. Now, it's important. He says to him, I just read this a moment ago, he says to, says to him, I want you to find this spouse from a certain place. Don't, don't come from the region in which we live now. It's, it's Canaan. It's, it's an area that in chapter 9, verse 25, God cursed the people of Canaan because of their sinful ways, and they still live in that rebellion, so that's not where Isaac needs a wife from. And then he says, well, I want you to go back to where I'm from. Now, let me help you with a little bit of Abraham's history. When he was originally born, he was born in the land of Ur, and that's with his dad. They were, they were idol worshipers when he was born. Abraham wasn't born in a, in a God-fearing home. And so when the servant says, well, what about where you're from? He's like, no, 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 I don't want you to go there. But after he was born, his dad moved to a different region before they moved into this other area. That's where some of Abraham's family still is and is still God-fearing. He says, I want you to go there and find a a spouse for my son. Okay, so now that we understand where he's going, why he's headed there, I want to focus in on verse 7 because I... I don't want you to miss the faith of Abraham. It's in fact, verse seven is the last words that Abraham will speak in the Bible. They're words of great faith. Look what he says. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred. So he says, I, I left the land of my kindred where I was originally from. Then I left my father's house after we move. And then look what he did. He spoke to me and he swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. We've heard this promise many times in Genesis to this point. He will send an angel. Look at, look at his faith. He will send an angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. He says, you're going to step out. And you're going to take a wife for my son as you go on this road. I trust that God is going to keep his promise. Much different than Abraham's first words. His first words were like, God, how are you going to do this? He lacked faith early on in chapter 15, verse 3. But now that we get to his last words in here in chapter 24, he's a man of great faith. He believes that God in his providential hand will work things out. Now, what's interesting about chapter 24 is that God never speaks in this chapter. You know, we're used to God coming down and giving a promise directly to them. No, no, no. Abraham already has all the promises. He's now stepping in faith on what God has already said. So he's learning to trust God even when God is somewhat unseen in the day to day. There's no floods, no healings, no flaming, floating torches like he's seen earlier on. It's simply just in the day-to-day, he's going to trust him. And Abraham's had to learn this hard way. When, when, when things aren't working for him in the past, he tried to engineer some things out, right? He, he, he tried to tell lies, or he stepped out of the side of the bounds of his marriage. But, but here, he's willing to trust God in his old age. Even in the normal, everyday details, God is the primary actor We'll see a very common story. Everything I'm about to walk through is just normal everyday stuff. But, but from the perspective of faith, these individuals see God's hand. That, that's the point, right? We need to learn to see God's hand in the everyday details of our life. 
J.I. Packer says it like this. He says, believers are never in the grip of blind forces, like fortune or chance or luck or fate. All that happens is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summon to trust, obey, and rejoice. You see, God doesn't, like I said earlier, he's not just jumping into our lives on the day of a miracle. God is at work in every single moment of your day. It's not just at the, the moment that you see the birth of your first child that you're like, wow, Lord, I praise you. It's in the moment of every day that you look over and see your child riding in the car with you. God is miraculous even in those moments. He is, he is always at work. You know, I'll ask you this question. Do you ever, do you ever get, you ever get bored? Uh, If you're, um, I think if you're probably a 10 year old boy, you probably get bored a lot. I think my kids would tell me, I'm, you know, you hear a kid, right? I'm bored, right? You, you, it's part of life to, to find yourself bored. But, but for me at my age, I feel like being bored would be a luxury at this point. It'd be nice. I'd, I'd like to have a day that I felt a little bored every now and then, right? Kind of like when you, were, when you were younger. I remember when I was a teenager on a Friday night, a good Friday night, I was out. Now, a good Friday night, I'm in, right? <laughs> I, I'm looking for just a boring moment. Now, as much as we say that, there are a lot of, our, there are a lot of parts of our lives that are fairly mundane, are they not? scrubbing the floor at the house, cooking a meal in the kitchen, driving in the car to a location. I mean, down to the very details of your life, down to, to clipping your fingernails, right? Like, like every little boring task. Do you, do you understand that God is sovereign and providential over every single little moment? That God works miracles in these moments? Do do you live as if every single moment there is a providential God at work in your steps? Do you think that as you take the very breath that you take in this moment, as as you eat the lunch that you'll eat today, as you just get up from your seat in this room and put one foot in front of the other, that there is a sovereign providential God that is guiding every single moment that's in front of you? That's the point when we look at Genesis 24 is that we see there is a God who guides these steps. And so as we live in that reality, now that I've kind of set the scene, let's get to the story as this servant travels on this journey. Here's the second thing we do. We'll kind of observe this from from him is that the prayer will be a part of every moment. We pray to the Lord in every moment. It's, it's a part of the very breath we breathe. In fact, the New Testament will describe this as pray without ceasing, right? We, we know the, the, the quote. We know that the idea is prayer is something we just do constantly. It's not just something we do before a meal. It's not just something we do at church. It's something that should happen with regularity from our minds and our hearts. So let's watch the prayer of this great servant of the Lord. Now off goes the servant. He makes the journey. It's probably about a thousand miles round trip. He's going to take 10 camels with him and a lot of gifts. So this is a massive caravan. 
It, it's, it took him days probably just to get going on the road. And so, so now he journeys all the way up to this region where he might find this spouse for, for Isaac. And when he gets there, he, he makes this long journey. Could have been weeks, could have been months. We don't know the time period. But we're talking hundreds of miles to make the journey from where the Bible says Abraham and his family was up to where they were going. And so what's interesting, the Bible moves quickly through that moment. And then finally, in one single day, in verse 11, the Bible zooms in. And and here's this servant, this nameless servant, sitting by the well in an afternoon, the camels are seated, and we pick up the story in verse 11. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So here he is, made this long journey, all the preparation, right? And now the moment is set. But it, it's just a well, right? It, it's, it's just a place where people go to fill up water. And he's got this pile of camels, all these gifts. Now it's God's turn. And just like in, in verse 45 will tell us, it says he prayed this from his heart. This was something he was praying to himself. So let's look at what the servant prays. He said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. What a simple prayer, huh? What's something we can just pray, Lord? Grant me success today. And show, here's a word for us, and show the steadfast love, the the kindness, as you might translate it, to my master Abraham. So so he's asking, he's remembering God's faithfulness in this. This is uh, what the ladies talked about all weekend, the kindness of God, that his faithfulness is there. So he says, God, I want you to grant me success here. You've been faithful to me before. And then he prays a specific prayer. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. The daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink. And look, look what she's going to say. I will water your camels. So he asked for just water for himself. Now this lady's going to say, I'm going to water you. I'll give you something and I'm going to water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown, here's this kindness again, your steadfast love to my master. And, and so at first glance, you might look at this and say, this kind of seems like a, a golden fleece kind of prayer, right? That, that he's looking for this kind of miraculous thing to happen. God, let her walk up, let her say these specific words. But in fact, I don't think there's much miraculous in this story, is there? I, is it odd that a person would come to the well to get water? No. Is it odd if you asked for them to help with water? Would they give you a drink? No. And even beyond that, is it odd that she would even be willing to give water to the camels? No, this is a very normal thing that would happen in the moment. It's not like he says, God, I I want you to come up with a code word here. If she comes up and says, Methuselah sent me, then that's the one, right? It's not like something unusual has to happen. This this young lady just has to come up and be, be nice, right? 
So, so if Rebecca, the test here, this is interesting if you know the book of Genesis, hospitality is a big deal in the book of Genesis. Abraham receives the angels. Uh, Lot, when Sodom and Gomorrah happens, they, they, they're not hospitable to the angels. Uh, there, there's a picture here. And, and so she's going to pass the test of hospitality. She's going to be kind and, and gracious when they ask. And so, so here, in the ordinary events of the day, prayer becomes our lifeblood and sustenance. You, you see, if you want to get your eyes off of the ordinary and get your eyes onto the providential hand of God, I'll tell you the surest, fastest way to do it. Pray. Pray a lot. Pray often. Pray regularly. Let it be a common piece of your life. Pray. And, and you see the, the heart of this, young, this servant as he stands there. He knows the promise that he got from Abraham, this great man of faith. But even in that moment, he goes to the well trusting God. And he, and he does it in just a prayer. It's interesting. That, like I said in verse 45, it says he did it in his heart. Now, it'll say he spoke it, but I imagine almost him speaking it under his breath. Kind of a quiet prayer. You know, somebody years ago, I was... I was listening to something and they were describing ways to pray and they had a term, it always stuck with me. Maybe you've heard it, I'd never heard it other than that one spot. They called, a, they called it a parking lot prayer. This is what they referred to it as. And the reason they called it a parking lot prayer it was the idea of when you park your car, the time it takes you to get that car into the building was probably, what, 30 seconds, right? You, you're, you're getting in your car, you're walking in and they said, parking lot prayers are those short prayers you make as you go from one place to another just throughout your day. They don't have to be very long, but they're simple prayers to the Lord. I, I think about how often we should be praying parking lot type prayers. Simple prayers as we transition or go to the next thing in our life. Th this is, the servant sits down and he just prays a prayer under his breath. While he sits by this well, I'll ask you the question is, how often are you praying to see the hand of God as you walk through your day? How often do you think about when you might can pray? Just even simply put, when you park your car and you walk into a place, how often is there a simple prayer you could offer up there? You, you might be saying, you know, whatever you want, Lord. Help me to, to be able to share the gospel in this moment as you walk into a meeting, as you walk down the hall in your office, as you sit on the computer and wait for your Zoom call to connect, as you, as you go down the hallways of your school, even, even as you get up from your seat in this room and walk out or you walk into worship, how often are there quiet prayers that are voiced maybe under your breath and in your mind, believing that in those moments throughout your day, there's a sovereign God who's providentially ordering every single moment. That, that's why I think sometimes we miss this, right? We seem to think that there's these grand, holy, miraculous moments. That's where God is. And then we go to our day-to-day -day and think, my God's not involved in that moment. He's absolutely involved in every single moment of your life. And so you ought to be lifting up these prayers in these short moments before him as this servant did before the Lord here. So not only is this servant praying in every single moment, but, but there's also another posture here. The third thing I want you to see is we serve the Lord in every moment. We serve the Lord in every moment. It, it's, it's amazing. There are two models of servanthood here in Genesis 24, I, I think are, are real exemplars for us to think about how we might live our lives ready to serve the Lord. 
The, the first one I want to point you to is this nameless servant of Abraham's house. He, he's a man of faith, is he not? He saddled up 10 camels and loaded all this stuff up, walks up to the well, prays a prayer. He, he's trusting the Lord. And it's amazing. God answered his prayer instantly. Look, look at verse 15 with me. We'll pick the story back up again. Before he had finished speaking, he couldn't even finish his prayer before the Lord answered. Look what he says. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So we're off to a good start, aren't we? We were looking for somebody of the right family. She's got it. Look what she does. She came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Okay, second check mark, right? She can't water camels. She didn't have a water jar. So she's here for water. Verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance. We got a bonus on the table here, right? She's pretty. Just a reminder here, young men in the room, this was not the main criteria by which she was chosen. But she was pretty. It's a bonus. Then look what it says. A maiden whom no man had known. So now we see she's available for marriage. So up walks somebody of the right house that is available for marriage. She's got her water jar. The moment is set. She went down to the spring and she filled her jar and she came up. Now let's look at the rest of the scene. Verse 17. The servant ran to meet her. He's ready to talk to her. And he he starts the dialogue, right? Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. So she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand. And she gave him a drink. Verse 19. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, and can you imagine the servant's heart? Can you imagine him thinking in this moment, right? Look, Look what she says to him. I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. He's like, oh, man. (laughs) The Lord's doing it, right? He's doing what, what we've talked about right here. So, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough. And notice she quickly does this. There's, there's a mark here about how, how much of a servant she is. She quickly emp- empties her jar into the trough. She ran again to the well to draw water. She drew for all his camels. And then, then the man, he just, he sits in silence. Look, at the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So he just kind of waits. You, I imagine there's maybe some more prayers going here as he sees her do, watering these camels. Now, now, let me pause here for a moment. If you know this story well, I, I'd always thought, I would this take about five minutes and then we move on? Mm-mm, no, 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 no. Okay, so let's, let's pause. We got 10 camels. Now, what do you know about camels? Do they drink enough water for that day or do they drink enough water? What? We got a, we got a hump on the back for a reason, right? They, they say camels take about 25 gallons of water to drink. So let's say 10 camels, 25 gallons of water. We're at 250 gallons of water just guessing at what this might take. Now, I don't know how big her jar was. I don't imagine it was a 250-gallon jar. So it wasn't just one trip. We, we, we could guess, let's say it's a three-gallon jar is what a lot of people might would have said it would have been. So, so this would have been over 80 trips. They said it would have been steps down into this well and back out. This would have been 80 trips with this three-gallon jar. That's a lot of work, isn't it? This wasn't done in five minutes. This could have been a two- or three-hour ordeal. And she did it quickly, and she did it with joy. Th- think about how the Lord worked here. 
Rebecca woke up that day just like any other day. She got dressed that day. She grabbed her water jar that afternoon and she walked the same old boring walk to the well and she had no idea that something set in the course of her events that would change the course of all of history. She didn't know what God had planned. It was just another day of mundane task, but God was ready to do great things in ordinary moments. Think about the servant. Here, here he had the same posture. When Abraham said, I want you to go, he said, yes, Lord. Whenever he showed up at the well, he was ready to see the Lord work. And so, so here we see both a servant who's willing to do whatever is in front of him and R- Rebecca who's willing to do whatever she's called to do. In fact, there'll be a moment, we don't have time to unpack the whole story, but there'll be a moment later on when, when she agrees to go with him and the family, they've given all these gifts and the family's like, no, 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 stay. We don't want you to leave yet. Just hang on a few more days. And then the, the servant says, hey, you should... Rebecca, are you ready to go? And she says, she says immediately, she says the phrase, I will go. Now, now you may not miss this, but Abraham, the great of the faith, when God said, will you go to a strange land and trust me that you don't know about? Abraham said, I will go. And in this moment, Rebecca, when called upon to go to a strange land and trust him, you know what she says? I will go. She's taking on the same faith that Abraham had carried before. This is the posture of a servant of the Lord. When the Lord calls, whatever moment it may be in your day, you're ready to say yes. Because you know God is truly providential over all of these moments. And they'll come in days you don't expect, right? You ever wake up on a day? You could probably think of one in your life. I thought about telling a story, but I think you probably have one better in your head. You ever wake up on a day and something happens that day that it altered the course of your life? You didn't even see coming. You woke up, something happened to someone. Maybe it was really good. Maybe it was really bad. But when you woke up that day, you never saw what was happening that day. But the Lord knew. He knew it was in your path and he knew it was in the path of Rebecca for this day. And I'll just say, when the moment came, when the Lord placed it in front of her, she said, yes. But that wasn't just a, that wasn't just a one moment thing. This was the posture of her life. When it was time for her to serve, she was ready to jump. I'll ask you the question then. Are you ready to serve people's physical needs that are around you? When, Sarah, when Rebecca was called upon, she was not only willing to give a drink, but she went the extra mile to feed all the camels. That was a part of her character. She was willing to serve those around. Are you a person that is ready to serve first and say, God, whenever you put something in my path, I'm ready. Whatever you want today, I'll serve. But it's not just physical needs. Sometimes it's emotional needs. You need to be the first one to encourage someone. There might be someone next to you in church today, sits next to you in life group in just a moment, or somebody you see in the lobby, and God has placed you in the path for just a normal, average, ordinary day, and the words of encouragement you will say to them today will brighten their day in a way that you had no idea the impact you might have. Do you understand? God is providential over every single moment that he has placed you in. But ultimately, I would say, are you ready to serve others' eternal needs? I'll ask you this question. Are you ready to speak the gospel at any moment? I think about walking around saying, Lord, give me opportunities to tell people about the hope that's in Christ. 
Are you ready to share what's inside of you? Are you thinking when you walk the hall at work and you walk into a meeting, how can I be a light for the gospel in this place? That's what God has placed us for. Yes, Lord, I am ready. Here I am. It's the posture of Rebecca. It's the posture of the servant here because we serve the Lord in every moment. There's, there's a fourth thing I want you to see. Because when the Lord works, here's the fourth thing I want you to see is that we worship the Lord in every moment. We worship the Lord. So as the story goes on, uh, the servant pulls out a gold ring it's actually a gold nose ring. And he also pulls out these bracelets at the well. He gives them to Rebecca and says, listen, I'm here to see you come back and to worship. And so, or come back into Mary Isaac. And she's like, this is wonderful. He goes back to the house. He meets Laban, which Laban's going to come out later. Laban's more interested in the gold nose ring and the gold bracelets because he likes stuff. But in the moment, they, they go back home and there's a moment at the house in which he brings all kinds of gifts for everybody. And in that, in that moment, the, the servant pauses before he moves forward. And I, I don't want you to miss this. Because after it all happens, after everything plays out like it's supposed to be, look at verse 26 with me. Look what the servant does. The man bowed his head and he worshiped the Lord. After God did what he would do in the ordinary, he worships him. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his what? His kindness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. The Lord answered the prayer and he stopped on the backside to worship him. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. How often does God answer your prayer and on the backside of that, you've been praying. How often do you not stop and thank him for what he did? It's so easy. It's so easy to do. Because when it's a problem for you, I'm all about bringing those prayers to him. I've got all this list. God, I need you to do this, this, this. And I'm asking him. And then the minute God fixes it, I'm on to the next problem, right? God, I got a new thing I want you to fix. But we need to stop like the servant did here when God works in these moments in our lives, not just to stop to pray to ask God to do something, but on the backside when God does something, we need to stop and worship him and give him praise to thank him for what he has done for us. In fact, it's interesting here. The reason this is the second longest narrative in Genesis, and, and this is, if you look at it, the servant will go to back to Rebecca's house and he tells the whole story all over again the whole thing gets repeated if you read it it goes back through it again why do you think the servant keeps telling the story it's because he wants to talk about how faithful God was he's praising him for it and he's telling others about how God is faithful it's a moment of worship even with the others in fact when he gets back to Isaac at the end of the chapter guess what he does again he tells the same story he goes over and over again to say, man, listen to how thankful I am to God. I'm thankful to him, and I'm also telling you how thankful I am for what God did. It's saying thank you over and over and over again. Now, uh, for me, oftentimes, uh, I don't know if you ever go to, uh, and we, of course we all do, we just can't go today. Uh, you go to, to Chick-fil-A, right? 
it's a, it's a must stop, right, for, for any family. I love to go to Chick-fil-A. And one of the things that's wonderful about the Chick-fil-A culture is whenever you say thank you, they say, right, you got it right, you all know the response. Sometimes if I know the employee, because typically there's quite a, there's people that from the church that always work at Chick-fil-A, I, I like to say thank you as many times as possible to see how many times they will say my pleasure. I'm not sure that's a nice thing or not. I figure I'm saying thank you. It can't be bad, right? So, but ultimately we, we say thank you over and over and over again. How often is it that God does something for you and you don't say thank you? I'll even pause here for a moment. Has God just walked you through a season of life and done something for you and you haven't thanked him for it. But like right now, you, you can think of something he's done and you sit here and go, man, you know what? I probably haven't paused. Maybe you need to right now in your seat. It's okay to, if, you, if you're gonna take a break from the sermon, uh, it's probably not good on your phone to take a break from your sermon, but it's good if you're just gonna go and pray to the Lord, that's okay. If you should go right now in your seat, but right now in your seat, start praying and say, Lord, thank you for that. I'm sorry, I never, I never stopped. I just moved right past that prayer once you answered it. Because the servant didn't do that. The servant, he thanked God on the backside. There's a fifth thing I want you to see, and this is the last thing I'll give you today, is that, that in these providential moments, we live for the Lord in every moment. We live for the Lord in every moment. We carry on this great mantle of faith. Now we fast forward a little bit. Rebecca's left her home. She's on her way back. She's made the journey on the camels. They're traveling back. The family sent her off. And the caravan arrives back at home. And we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter to verse 63. So you have your Bible there in front of you. It's quite a scene. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes. Now, I want to paint this as best I can because this, this is what the Hebrew is doing for us here. It's, it's painting a scene like it's a movie. And it really is. So Isaac's out in the field, wind's blowing in his hair, right? He's having this moment. All of a sudden, his eyes look up. Behold, he sees these camels coming. Got the music starts playing, right? Rebecca lifts up her eyes. The, the, the meaning here is, that, is if it's instantaneous, right? I'm not adding to it. This is, this is what it's painting, right? And when she saw Isaac, she, she gets off from her camel, right? The wind's blowing. She puts her veil down. She's going to be married to him. This is this moment they all meet. And so, so it really paints a picture now of these two coming together. Verse 65, this and, and he said to the servant, who is that man? This is what Rebecca says. She says to this servant, she's walking in the field to meet us. And the servant said, it is my master. So, so here's Isaac. This is the one I brought you to. She took her veil. She covered herself. And the servant told Isaac, listen to what he does. I told you this. She told Isaac, the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So he, he recounts the story to him. And then verse 67, then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. This is significant here. Now Rebekah is going to be the matriarch of the family. So she goes into Sarah's tent. Sarah's dead, and now she takes over in this tent. And she became his wife, and this is the first time we hear this in the Bible about marriage, and he loved her. 
you see they love that Isaac loved Rebekah. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So here in the closing scenes of Genesis 24, Isaac and Rebekah come together, and in this moment, they are center stage. And even though the chapter began with Abraham, did you hear Abraham's name in any of that? No. After 30, another 35 years, he'll live. He'll die in chapter 25. But from this point on, the faith is now Isaac's and Rebekah's. What is Moses trying to show us? That the providential hand of God at work in our life, that the faith you have been given, it is either, you are either handing it off to the next generation, or if you're young enough in the room, you're receiving it from the next generation. You see, Abraham's passing it down to his children. Isaac and Rebekah are taking over the mantle, the, the mantle of faith. So if you're here and you're older in your years, you're now in the, in the stage of life, you're passing this to the next generation. You're looking for those behind you to carry this mantle when you're with the Lord. If you're younger in the room, maybe you sit here and you're, you're a teenager and you're sitting here thinking, one day the mantle, we promise you, it's coming to you as well. One day we all won't be here. If you're a teenager, one day all of us older folks will be gone. You'll be the one carrying this faith. You know, earlier this year, uh, I lost my dad. And my dad was the, really the patriarch of our family in the sense of he was a godly man and uh, he walked with the Lord. And um, I just wanted to share this, so forgive me for a second. But I lost my dad and he loved the Lord. And I feel as, a, as in my family now, I realize now it is it's me to carry the faith. And I want to look to my kids and say there's going to be a day that we pass that along as well. I know every single moment is a providential moment of God. Now, just ask you this question today. Are you ready to take the mantle of faith and pass it along? Are you the one maybe in your family now? You're older. You're carrying that. You're living in a way that your kids should be able to look to you and say, I want to take that faith from you. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're 15. You think, man, that'll never be me. Trust me. It'll be you before you know it. There'll be a day that what you have walked with and in your days, you'll be carrying the mantle for your faith today. So I ask you today, have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that when your kids grow up and they look up, they can go, man, I'm looking to Abraham, my dad, and say, I want to be like him and I'm going to carry that faith like he carried it. Are you trusting the providential hand of God? Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Do you need to thank him now for some of the things he's done for you? I don't know how the Bible has applied this to your life today, but I'm going to ask you, are you living as if God is sovereign and providential over every moment? Is it your day to pick up the mantle of the faith? You sit here in this room, you know, mom, dad, we're godly, and maybe you've missed it for years. The gospel is great. The grace of God is great. And if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus today, you can be like Abraham. He didn't grow up in a God-fearing home, but he sure ended God-fearing. He can do that in your life today. Let's go to the Heavenly Father. We, we take these moments just to pray to you. We ask you to work in our midst. We ask you to speak to us now. Use this time to be honoring to you. May we respond to your grace. 
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.